All right, guys, welcome to the show. Coach Casey here with my guest co-host, Shane Jones. We're semi-pro. Inside the locker room. And we're here today with a man I have a great amount of respect for, hoping he would be here to be my first guest. We got Coach Scott Murto in the house. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> and not our usual format because my uh, normal co-host, uh, Damo, he's out today. So I got Shane filling in, being a, a, a superstar. Kind of like your playing career, Shane. You, yeah, were, you were always like the, no, you, you were always like the fill-in guy. Every time I needed somebody, you just ended up being that guy, like no matter what position it was. Like left guard? Yeah, left, 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 yes, exactly. Left, it, so for our listeners, Shane at the time was like a 205-pound wide receiver. And uh, several times throughout the season, I ended up having to put him in at uh, like guard, tackle. A couple times you played defense, yeah, linebacker. Played middle linebacker. Yeah, middle linebacker. That was terrible. Um, and, uh, you know, today you, you're looking a little bit more like a middle uh, <laughs> linebacker or even an interior guard. What are you, what are you pushing these days? I'm hovering 250. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. I would have said 230, but, yeah, I'm not surprised by 250 I blame my all. two kids Yeah, yeah. and so my girls cooking. I actually was having that conversation with Damo the other day. We were joking about the dad bod situation and stuff, and I said, I told you one time, you and I had this conversation, that you were headed in this direction because <laughs> I started out looking like you, and then it catches up to you because it happens real quick. It did. And Damo right now is going about 220, whereas, you know, when we first met him, he was probably like a buck 90. Funny how that shit, you know, sneaks up on you. But when I started gaining weight, I went from a 220-pound tight end to next thing I know, I'm like 250, then 260, then 280, you know. Yeah, been hovering a while. Yeah. Just ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it will sneak up on you, that's for sure. So, Scott, I wanted to get you on the show. You and I have always kind of been like two ships passing in the night. Like, we've never been able to to connect, I think, the way that, that we wanted to once we actually got to know each other. You know, I think you're a hell of a coach. And um, I wanted to have you on because I wanted to basically talk about your experience, not only at the semi-pro level, but, you know, high school level you know, kind of what got you into football. Uh, talk about it. When did you get into football? Uh, you know, what, what got you there? Well, football, I started in 2001. Um, I, prior to that, I had been a high school basketball coach. Um, I preferred it because in high school, I was better at basketball than I was at football. Um, so I naturally picked it up. But my father had always been a coach of football. Um, so I <clears throat> went through and I uh, studied game film tapes, watched him prepare for games forever. And I lived in an area where it's, it's a hotbed for coaches. Um, the city that I live in has produced Jim Trestle, Bo Pelini, Bob Stoops, Mark Stoops. I mean, numerous college coaches. So it kind of was a thing to do in the area. Plus my dad was doing it. I got in um, middle school shortly after 2001. And we're talking about Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. I, I started in Northeast Ohio, uh, Youngstown, Ohio. It's a small city about 60 miles South of Cleveland. Um, and I started in, in a middle school level, actually helping my father um, there. And I eventually went ahead, and he had got promoted to be a head coach for a semi-pro team. Um, at that point in time, I had no idea what semi-pro was or what I was getting myself into. Um, but they had lost um, a couple of different coaches, and he had asked me to go ahead and help them with special teams. Um, and I'd been preparing to coach for, for years. I mean, I used to draw plays in my notebook when I was in sixth grade and study all and things like that. So I took it, and I've been on the wild ride ever since. And that would just so that started in 2001 for you. Mm -hmm. So you weren't even really a serious football player. You were mostly an admirer of the game. You played, but I you played. Um, but 
My preference because of obviously at that point in time, my height, I'm six foot five. Yeah, six five, yeah. And I was only 190 pounds. Uh, I was a basketball player. I played football, um, but I preferred basketball. And I, I had a good, really good, really good opportunity at one of the more prestigious high schools to coach basketball there. So I started there, and I really let football go for a few years. Um, but I came back to it after that, and I started coaching high school shortly after. Um, I coached at Youngstown Cardinal Mooney, and I coached at Youngstown Ursuline. Okay. At the same time, I was coaching semi-pro, so I was dealing with adults at, at night and then kids right after school, so it was a little bit of a uh, – gives you the full grasp of the culture of, of football and how far it can go and how bad it can get. Ohio is kind of like uh, the Midwest version of Texas. It's, it's very football-centric. Yeah, football uh, – Football's a way of life there. I mean, yeah. if you there's areas up there where literally any boy that's born gets a football uh, at, at the hospital, things like that. And it's so much different being here that I'm now in Florida that I moved here. Um, it's just not football's not taking the same way down here, at least yeah. in my eyes. Yeah, it's that kind of took me by surprise. So I grew up here. I played high school football in the area. At the time, it was different. I don't know. Maybe I had a different outlook on it at the time because now that I've I've grown older and, and been around it so much, it really hasn't changed that much. What I think it is is that Florida is just full of NFL athletes, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's a given. Like Absolutely. every Division One and Division One AA or or whatever it is, FBS schools now, mm-hmm. FCS schools put guys in the pros. Like Florida uh, sorely outnumbers any other state in terms of NFL talent. Um, on the field yeah Uh, it's weird and the thing that i think you and i had had the conversation previously that it blows my mind that it's not even more so slated that way because in ohio i mean you can only train four or five months out of the year right here you could train outdoors year round yep um you don't really ever have to worry about anything but but rain right you don't have any thunderstorms and you always have access to the amount of pro athletes that are here right the athlete (laughs) the level of athlete athletes should be better yeah. I think the problem here is there's no coaching, no structure. Yeah, the, it's 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 fascinating that the the commitment to the game, I think, is what you're getting at. It's just not well, here. At this, yeah. Well, you look at it like this. I mean, in Ohio, okay, in the months that we're not able to train outdoors, okay, what, those are the months that are, what, September, October, November, December, what are we doing? We're indoor watching football. Yeah. Here in Florida, if they don't feel like training, they go to the beach. Right. They go to the mall, outdoor malls. Right. I mean, if I wasn't. Once I took up coaching, and when I was a kid coming up, you know, I was more into football than I was basketball. Just my body didn't work for football. I w- went that route, but, I mean, football was everything. You know, I mean, yeah. I watched football on Sunday, went out and played football in the backyard in the afternoon. Yeah. I, I don't see that here. And they don't even have middle school teams. Yeah. It blows it, my mind. We were talking about it all the way back in high school because I had a guy who ended up becoming my best friend came basically moved down here from Michigan where it's very similar to Ohio. Very similar. Um, football was life up there. Yeah. And they had freshmen, J- JV, and varsity teams uh, down here. If you were like, hey, were you on the freshman team? The freshman team, what the fuck is that? Freshman, JV, varsity, plus they had middle school. And yeah. then then that that came from Pee Wee and Mighty Might and all that. Yeah, I played from the um, time I was five to the time I was 19. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not – football is way different. And like I said, it, it – bugs me because I see guys down here at the semi-pro level even that are so talented, but you can tell they've yeah. never been taught. Right. They've never been taught the way right. the game should be yeah. played. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the solution is to that around here. I just think there's a lot of people. And the semi-pro level, my biggest thing is you have a lot of people with a lot of egos and a lot of individuals with a lot of their own itineraries on how they want to do stuff. And it, and it actually it hurts the athletes more than anything. There's a lot of talent down here. They just need better coaching. And, you know, I'm the guy. I can totally do that. 
And you probably could. The biggest issue is this, is it's very hard what I've found down here so far, and I've had some great staff members, but the biggest thing that I've found is it's the same thing as I was stating earlier about Florida. The level of taking it seriously, the level of yeah. work that actually puts to come in to be a coach. You can never actually tell at semi-pro exactly how good of a coach you can be because it's not the same. And then you also have some guys that are, you know, just off the street, fly by night, somebody's cousin come in coaching or whatnot. You don't have people that have really done it for years. Like myself, I mean, before I, I was the youngest head coach in semi-pro in Ohio. I started head coaches 24, 25, somewhere in that area. And I did that for nine years with one organization. I was the longest. Also, at that point, I became the longest tenured head coach in semi-pro in Ohio. And you don't see that here. Like, yeah, I see yourself. I, I know from talking to you, the level of the game, you know, and the way you could execute it. Yeah. But I feel we were kind of robbed of the opportunity <laughs> yeah. to put that together. Yeah. Um, and and it, it bugs me because I've had some great staff members who have put in all the work that they could as far as right now, but they hadn't been built to be a coach. They hadn't done it for years. They hadn't put the work in. They hadn't understood the game the way it happened. And it overall, like I said, it hurts on many levels across my pro right now. We'll uh, we'll end up circling back to that our our vision of, of of what we thought things might be like if we were able to coach on the same staff. But I remember basically when you and I first got involved with each other, um, <laughs> thinking to myself, you said at the time you had like ten years of coaching experience, mm-hmm. and I was working on like eight or something like that. And I said to myself, you are the first person with more coaching experience than me that I've come across down here, aside from a couple of the high school coaches that I got involved with at the semi-pro level, but most of them, uh, because of shoddy ownership or whatever it would be, would just get scared away, right? Like the, any good coach never hangs around because – Become jaded. You, yeah, yeah, and, and and either that or you can just smell it from a mile away, the, the, the bullshit that you're stepping into. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I started figuring out real quick was like, oh, man, what happened to that guy? Like he was a, you know, he was mm-hmm. a good coach. Like why didn't he hang around? And then, you know, uh, it, it comes down to a situation where like I'm one of the only coaches on a team – like the hitman at the time, Shane, uh, where we started out with like a full coaching staff. And then, you know, midway through the year, uh, everybody just started, you know, like dying off. Dropping like flies. I say midway through the year, it was really like two games into the season. Like it was down to me and one other coach who was a high school coach. Mm -hmm. And he basically uh, didn't have the time of day for the team because, you know. And the thing is, is also now that I've gotten a little bit, I have started coaching at Riverview High School. And now that I've gotten a little bit of the high school experience down here as well, it's – I don't feel a lot of the guys, and we had the situation with one of our coaches last year that was at, at a high school, and then previously the year before, who was a really good coach the previous year, and then this past year, the guy who came in, they because they come from semi-pro, they kind of look, or they come from high school, they kind of look down on semi-pro, mm-hmm. and they have these egos which are like inflated beyond belief. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I had an ego myself as a mm-hmm. young coach, but you have to be willing to put the work in and learn. If you're just going to go ahead and you have these ideas that you watched on YouTube, mm-hmm. you're going to fail every time. I, I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that 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 you're basically describing a lot of my flaws uh, in in that regard because. I do have uh, an ego, you know, when it comes to, to coaching and I've always, and you know, it's, it's probably because of who I've been surrounded by that, that kind of drove me to become that person where it was my way or the highway. I was taking charge of every situation because uh, the people that are, are like feeding ideas into me, I realized like they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And, and I just remember once, once you and I actually, 
you know, got involved with each other and we came together to uh, do the War Eagles. I thought to myself, like, we're going to win three or four championships on this team because nobody has as much coaching experience as the two of us combined. And, and honest <laughs> to God, that what, to me at that point, now I know we had a lot of work to do because it was a new organization or whatnot, but it wasn't unattainable. It wasn't yeah. something that we couldn't do. I kind of feel in a, in a certain situation, and, and I know you know through the situation because you and I had the conversations, and I had conversations on the other side as well. I was basically trying to massage both sides and get everything yeah. to come together. Yeah. But I understand why it didn't. And yeah. it's unfortunate because I do believe that team, I mean, we would be looking at year four right now if other things hadn't yeah. happened. Yeah. We would I, probably have our first championship by now. Yeah, without without getting too much into the weeds about that, I was um, basically coming back from stepping away from the team that was originally mine, needing to take some time off. I was totally burnt out. I'd been doing it for about three years by myself the level of commitment from both the coaches that I was trying to bring on board and the players just wasn't there. So I just had to step away. And there was a time in that, in that gap there uh, before you and I got involved where I didn't think I would ever love the game again. Mm -hmm. Um, I literally quit watching on TV because it made me sick to my stomach. Yeah. We had that conversation. Yeah. Like I, 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 I couldn't get through an NFL game. I turned on the Super Bowl between the Falcons and the Patriots about the second quarter when the Patriots were getting smacked. smacked. And right then and there, I, when I saw the score and stuff, I said, man, the Falcons are just making it worse on themselves because they're going to lose this game. And uh, uh, that was the first football I'd watched in six, seven months and been involved with. The, I started getting the itch and the bug again and stuff, like wanting to come back. Yeah, well, it's even worse. I, I've been there twice in my time of coaching. And it's worse when somebody ruins something you love for you and you realize there's really not much control you have. Because yeah. in that situation, you didn't have much control. It was just right. they made it miserable for you, and now you couldn't right. stand to watch it because you know you wanted to be a part of it, but it wasn't what you wanted it to be or what it should yeah. be. Well, and, and getting back to the, the ego thing, again, like I, I understand and recognize my own flaws. It's just I'm not very good at addressing them. When I came back, I made an agreement. We had a gentleman's agreement between uh, myself and, and the owner uh, at the time of the team. Coming back, if I was going to do this, uh, I needed certain concessions in place in order to be able to do it because um, I'd already been down that road and been burnt out and everything, and I didn't want to go through it again. But shortly into the journey, they – you know, other owners came in. Basically, that that owner sold their sixty six percent of his team to two other guys, and uh, then they decided they wanted to renegotiate the agreement that I'd made with mm-hmm. the, the other gentleman. And then it was just time for me to get out because at that point the the status quo was changing. So, and I that situation, I, I was more selfish on my end trying to go ahead and get you to stay. Um, but I totally, absolutely understand where you're coming from on that. That was something that um, it's like I told you. And the, the big thing is, is at that point. You had had this, the situation that happened the year previous and how that had been played out. So you had that in the back of your mind, and you had an idea of how you wanted things done and how they should be done. And it wasn't wrong. The, pro, the issues came in is when you when everybody is so married to their own opinions. I mean, there has yeah. to be, regardless of who you're coaching with, staff-wise, ownership-wise, wherever you're at, it has to be 50-50 in the middle. Right. Um, and a coach has to feel empowered. At that point, you didn't feel empowered. So, I mean, I totally understand the situation. If a coach is not feeling empowered – it's never going to work. How the players are ever going to believe in a guy if the ownership doesn't believe in a guy? It doesn't make sense. I don't want to take you know all the credit, but I felt like I had a lot to do with you actually coming on board. Yeah. Because he was talking to you, I he said, "Oh, but he's also talking to the soldiers." And I said, "Nope, not going to happen. <laughs> I need this guy because if I'm going to make this work, I need somebody with 
the same level or more experienced than me, mm-hmm. who clearly knows what he's doing, has a you know a, a, a head on his shoulders, can think for himself, knows how knows how this game works. And I just uh, you know I thought like we'd be a uh, a dynamic duo of sorts, especially with the way things were shaping up, with you being the defensive coordinator and calling your shots, and me being the offensive coordinator and calling my shots. It was definitely a really good formula for success, even with a rookie head coach, because it it was going to be an opportunity for us to mask his weaknesses and, and, you know, uh, but you have to, you have to have everybody on board with the idea that coaches coach players play. And if you're, if you fall somewhere in the middle, you just need to keep your fucking mouth shut and stand on the sidelines and watch everybody do their thing. So it's it's a difficult situation when you have a head coach that's not a national coordinator. And in that situation, in my personal opinion, it probably shouldn't have been a coordinator role at that point. He should have let that go. You, at that point, as you're a head coach in that situation, you got two coaches with over 20 years' experience um, as coordinators. You step back. You manage your coaches at that point. You yeah. watch the position coaches. You make sure yeah. players are okay. And you don't try to overdo it. You don't try to overstep your bounds. And, Unfortunately, that's what happened, and it never came to be, unfortunately. There was, a, there was a lot of micromanagement, and speaking from personal experience, when that happens, because I was there too, you isolate yourself, you end up, well, like in my particular situation with the cons, we ended up just me being the coach halfway through the year, and the team actually got better. But my head was spinning because I was trying to manage the game, run the roster, mm. uh, you know, call the plays. It was it was maddening. My wife and I, we actually had to do the team in Ohio where um, – our head co- our assistant, my defensive coordinator, actually had a heart attack at the very beginning of the season, and it was only him and I coaching. I did the same thing that you were doing, and we were owning the team. So it's – if you've never done that, everything – I mean, it feels great to have your control of everything, but it's also a hell of a weight to have on you. It's difficult. It's something that, that I don't wish on anybody. I don't wish on doing it again, I'll tell you that. That's why I got burned out, man. Like, it, you you heard my wife earlier. My wife jokingly said, like, we almost got divorced over, you know, that, that year. Uh, but, no, seriously, I mean, it took such a toll on me, which in turn took a toll on my marriage and, and you know, and everything. And, and that's when I just had to kind of, like, step back and, and like, re uh, reevaluate my priorities and say, like, what the hell is important to me? Like, why am I doing this? Um, I'm not getting anything out of it. You don't get anything out of it no. other than the enrichment no. of, of, you know, like, coaching young men and stuff. And when that isn't happening, when you're not getting the joy of helping people grow and and seeing them succeed and stuff, then uh, there's nothing left in the, at that level. So yeah. it, It's a totally thankless position, to be honest. I mean, like you said, you don't get paid for it, and that's why I laugh whenever these guys come across with, you're just playing your favorites or you don't care about winning, you just want to play this guy. What else am I here for? Right. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, I don't have friends in semi-pro. Yeah. If you're on my organization, you remember my organization, when we step out like this, situation like this, yeah, we could be friends. But look, when we're at practice and we're at games, I don't give a shit about anything but winning. It's bottom line. The winning is what matters to me. I'm not going to put friendship over winning, especially on the football field. Shane knows from personal experience. You know, feel free to contribute anytime you want here, Ben. <laughs> I'm uh, having fun just uh, listening. Talking about what, what Scott brought up. You're not playing me. You, obviously, you love this guy more, blah, 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 whatever. Y- you obviously are one of my favorite players. You know this, <laughs> right? I, I brought you from team to team to team with me, right? Like, I wanted to keep you with me yep. my entire career because you're one of the best players on any team. Uh, you can do so many different things well. You, Josh, my core of guys, right? 
I, like I was harder on you guys than anybody else on the team, correct? Oh yeah. Players used to always say all the time, you know, about my favoritism with Shane and Josh, like, oh, you just love those guys, you know, you don't pay any attention to us, blah 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 blah. But then in kind of like you were saying, like in games, in practice, whatever, I'd be chewing their asses mm-hmm. out harder than anybody else on the team because we'd already kind of been together for like three or four years at that point, and they knew, you know, how I was and stuff. So if they weren't performing to what I felt was their their tippy top you know mm-hmm. their their uh, ceiling then uh, then my reaction to that was unfavorable you know <laughs> and that's so. natural that's why I never get this whole favoritism thing and I yeah. had a guy say it to me I think it was two years ago and I had literally the person that he was referring to had literally met him like three weeks earlier yeah and I'm like um I know him no more than I yeah. know you. The fact is, he's better than you. Uh, yeah, shut up. Yeah, right. I, I think that. Yeah, I, I think there's also something to that, though. Is like we as coaches, we gravitate towards football players, right? Yeah. When when somebody thinks, because I've had that happen before too, where I, I the first time I met Muscles, for instance, offline, we were talking about the Muscles situation and stuff. Remember when mm-hmm. he showed up to the Hitmen? I basically just was like, oh, fuck the rest of this team. That's my guy right there. <laughs> like, like when he showed up, he looked like a grown-ass man compared to a lot of the guys on the team. Right away, I could tell, like, he knew how to play football. Mm-hmm. I'd gone through about five or six months of offseason with this team, not seeing any of that, not seeing a, a, a team that I thought I had any faith in. There was, like, one or two ringers on there, like Levi and stuff. Uh, but yeah. the rest of the team was basically garbage. And And then this guy shows up. I put a lot of my stock and my time and effort into him because I thought I don't want him to leave because once he gets a whiff of what's going on here, he's going to want to take off. And then I basically just built my offense around him and started pounding the shit out of the football every play. And the thing that like, it comes down to when I listen to people say that and I, and I take it into consideration how they could possibly feel that way and what they're thinking, it's like yeah. bottom line is, is what is my job here? Yeah, exactly. My job as a coach is to identify to win. football players, yeah. to yeah. win football games, win games. to make them better. Yeah. If I can get a guy who's willing to work yeah. that might not be as good, I'll work with exactly. him. Exactly, yeah. But if I already got yeah. the finished product and he's a decent guy, he shows up to practice do what he's supposed to do, I'm going to run with him. Yeah. That's my job is to win football yeah. games. You want to, you want to develop guys. You want, you want to help guys get better. Your job as a coach is to coach. Mm-hmm. I had Curtis Terry at left end uh, who ended up playing, who played for Michigan, um, and he, was, he also played for the Cincinnati Bengals and actually played. These are guys that actually saw the field. Um, and then I had Pierre Woods. Uh, from I Michigan. remember Pierre Woods, yeah. Pierre, yeah. Pierre Woods was my other outside linebacker. Yeah, so yeah. I got to see at that point, because I was still kind of young at that point, if you think about it, 2009 is 10 years ago. I was 29, so I was kind of young in the coach. It was only my third year as a head coach. I got to see exactly what the level difference was between semi-pro. They played three games, and they had back-to-back games where the two combined for 16 sacks. Yeah. And it, the level of play that they had, and like I see guys here. We have some guys right now in this area that are very talented defensive end-wise. But then I watch these guys, and I'm like, okay, he's just as talented as you, but he's 6'5", 260, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. runs just as fast as you, where you're mm-hmm. lucky to push 240. Mm-hmm. And these guys just don't understand mm-hmm. the difference. Not only are, okay, you might be a good football player, a decent football player, mm-hmm. but not only are these guys decent football players, they're freak athletes. Right. Like, these guys were huge. Right. Like Pierre shook my hand the first time he came out, and like literally I almost cried. Like, yeah. And I'm a big guy. He's got a Super Bowl ring with the Patriots the whole right. nine. And at that point... With that team, I was extremely fortunate. I had four Division One players on my defense, and I had two on offense. Um, so I got a good glimpse of it. And that team, was I was lucky enough to have that team together for a long while. Um, so those players kind of got out of that, well, I'm good enough to play in the league type role because they knew come practice on Tuesday or Thursday, one of these guys were ready to yeah. clean their ass up if, if they said anything like that. 
once I once I got here, I realized that the level of semi pro is 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 crazy different from other places where it's not really a landing spot for college guys. It's more like a a dumping ground for 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 your your high school dropouts and your you know uh, your your wannabe uh, players and stuff. But um, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and the talent level is is like we said Athletes. through the roof from an athletic standpoint, but getting uh getting an athlete to properly align himself to be able to read you know just like let's let's pick a position linebacker right because we were talking about it earlier night and day difference between uh you know a guy who looks like a million bucks who uh can't play the position and then like a guy like what was the name of that guy that was with the war eagles this year that is he's an nfl prospect played, played for seattle didn't he uh, Dur- yeah. Darrell, uh, yeah brown Devon? Devon, Devon Brown. Devon okay, Brown. Devon Brown. Yeah, thank you. You got you got this uh, you know, two hundred and thirty pound dude with like a six pack, looks like a million bucks. Um, you know who I'm talking about. DJ was his name, the mm-hmm. linebacker for the War Eagles a couple years ago. Looked like a million bucks. But he like he couldn't play the game. Uh Lonnie looks like a million bucks. Can't play the game, right? Uh, but then you, uh, you you take a guy like Devon Brown, who was out of shape, looked like shit. But yeah, and and he just you plugged him in there, and he tore it up not only as a linebacker, but I remember a couple of games that I came out to that one he played tight end, he played tight and he started end, yeah. catching some yeah. he started catching some passes, and I said that's how you can tell the difference between somebody with actual high level football experience and everybody else because no matter where the hell you put them, they can succeed. And and he he, he I remember watching him play tight end, thinking to myself like that's the best player on the entire team, yeah. you know. And he was a middle linebacker, so you see it all over semi pro. If you yeah. bring like you said the guy that came back that was a quarterback from NFL Europe. If you bring a guy yeah. back that is even like a fourth string or right. a quarterback yeah. that got cut, yeah. that guy will come in because yeah. he knows how to read a defense. Right. Somebody's open every play. Yeah, exactly. Play. It was the, the fullback that uh, went to the Jaguars who was a quarterback at USF. What the hell was his name? You know who I'm talking about. Really, remember his name. Really athletic white guy. He was kind of like uh, Tim Tebow 2.0. Um, uh, he, he, was a, he was a quarterback for USF. You know, he basically they were saying he was either going to get drafted as an, a fullback or an H back because he just wasn't an NFL quarterback. He was your run and shoot kind of you know quarterback That's or whatever. Right exactly right, exactly. And I but I said to myself when uh, we had like three guys on the team who were friends with him who either played high school or college ball with him and said that they. Do could, you know where he went to high school? Yeah, yeah. He, was it Alton Voss? Was it? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Was that, it? Yeah, that was the guy. Yeah, yeah I went to high school. I couldn't think of his name. So me and Josh went uh, to high school. Yeah, a, bun- a bunch of guys knew him. And they were like, "Yeah, we can, you know, totally get him out of here if he doesn't make if he doesn't make the league. Like, you know, he'll come out here because we're all friends and shit." And I was like, "If he comes out here, you're all fired because <laughs> because exactly. he was he was an athlete who could literally play any position, but he would have in in my offense, my spread, you know, offense yeah. where I like to run with quarterbacks and shit. He would have destroyed any team in, in the league that we would have played against. Yeah. But again, it's that it's that thing of high level football." With an IQ and some athleticism, it doesn't matter where you put them; they can succeed, you know, and and will succeed. Football IQ is invaluable, and you don't see a lot of that. It's just not at semi-pro it's, level, anyway. Well, just in football in general, I, I've seen the deterioration in it on all levels. You look, guys get to this. You watch NFL Network, you watch ESPN, and you get these people and players even think they know things about the game and the way things should be, but they never put the effort yeah. in to see. How things got to a certain way. Yeah. Why a quarterback did Right, this. right. Why a linebacker well, did Well, you're currently coaching high school. Where are you coaching? Riverview. Riverview High School. And you're coaching the defensive backs? Yeah, I'm coaching the defensive backs yeah. at Riverview, which yeah. is uh, a little different for me. So talk about that for a minute. How different is it at the high school level than what you deal with in semi-pro? 
I will be honest with you. Um, up north, it was not too terrible. It, it, there was a big difference because a lot of the guys, by the time they had played semi-pro, had played some sort of college right. or high-level high school. Right. Um, here, ah, it's not much different. Yeah. I, I get guys yeah. that, you know, I'll put in cover two, yeah. and I'm watching the kids, and they're like, well, what does cover two mean? I explain, well, you're dividing the field in two pretty much as yeah. safeties. And I try to put it in semi-pro, and I got guys looking around cross-eyed. Yeah. It's like it's that's where I get my – especially now coaching high school, I'm seeing where the difference is where there hasn't been enough structure and follow-through yeah. and how things were taught. Um, basic things like jamming guys off the line, uh, hand plays and back pedals. Like I, I had to teach guys back pedals this year in high school, and then I started thinking back to semi-pro. And two years ago when I first got over there and I was working with the defense, it was – Teaching guys the back pedal, simple yeah. stuff. It's there's a big disconnect, uh, football IQ wise, and it's, as far as t- talking strategy, um, every one of these guys has won a Madden franchise. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Now, now, a little side in, info here is I have never won a Madden franchise. Yeah, um, I am the Buffalo Bills in real life. I once had a uh, uh, a player accuse me of of pulling my playbook out of Madden, and and I said. I said, okay, what you're seeing in Madden, I said, first of all, I haven't played the game in five years, uh, and I haven't, uh, and now it's like eight years because I haven't. I haven't played it in forever. And I said, but what you're seeing in Madden is you are seeing real concepts taken out and and placed into a video game uh, because, you know, real concepts in football work. And then you just plug it into a video game where you can do fucking anything. And and so he was seeing my my basic stuff like the – the meshes and and some of the the bench concepts and things like to that. Every level Those of football. are actual football concepts. And then he goes, "Motherfucker, you took this out of Madden, you know?" And it's like, no, no, they took that out of a real football playbook, you know. Yeah. You look back, um, yeah, like, like how mummy Mike Lee stuff, you know, Don Coryell. That's all like that's their stuff, like yeah. the mesh and stuff like yeah. that. It's taught through every level of football, and yeah. just so happens to leak into the game because it makes it authentic. Yeah. Well, and, and Coriel had like Eric Coriel. He ran all the flood shit and the ghost concepts and stuff. And so when guys would see my my like flood riot, my ghost, uh, you know, concept, which is basically a flood, but it was like the Parcells name for a flood, which is almost like the inverse of dagger. So you got the you got the underneath slide out or quick out. You got the um, you got the out on the on the inside, and then you got the go on the outside. So it's, it's inverted flip. exactly okay. yeah, and then daggers like the inverse of that because daggers like the dig on the outside, the go in the middle, and then the slide out from the other side, okay. and it creates the the dagger look or whatever. Uh, but when guys would see that, they'd say like, "I played this shit in Madden," you know, and it's like you're te- you know no shit, you're telling me that there was actually football in the game of Madden. <laughs> you know? It's so, in the game. Yeah, they say it at the beginning of the game. It's in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real. Um, but I, I asked that question earlier about the you know, high school and, and, and semi-pro differences, like what you're seeing and stuff to illustrate the fact that um, semi-pro is in a lot of ways down here, it's like the rejects of the high school level that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Like you, so you're talking about teaching high school players basic concepts. Right. And then when you get to semi-pro and you, you have to teach those same basic concepts to guys that maybe again, either didn't even play high school or or got kicked off the team and or quit or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, like I said, everybody's got a story. But just to illustrate the point that what we dealt with a lot of the times was your second tier of a second tier of a second tier, you know, football player. Right. Sure, we both had 
like hella good players on our teams. And, but, but again, you know, those were guys that had played high level high school football and then just didn't play college for whatever reason, whatever it was. Um, Semi pro here, you know what? I would say in general, I, I'm going to generalize across the country because I've coached in, I mean, I've been in Ohio, I've coached against PA teams, I've coached against West Virginia teams, Indiana teams, the whole nine. It's, 80, I would say 85 to 90%. That is what you get. Uh, you get the second tier guys. Um, you get the guys who were either really good at a really bad school, like they were the only star there, um, or they were at a really good school but never played the field but wore the jersey. Yeah. And it's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if yeah. you want to come out and everything, but it's being able to set that individual and that ego aside and being able to understand that, yeah, just because you're an adult and you're playing football and you have played before yeah. or you played at a certain school, it doesn't mean you know everything. Bill Belichick is a prime example of that. There's a reason why he keeps winning. Bill Belichick is a great defensive mind, probably – Dick LeBeau, um, maybe Buddy Ryan, as probably one of the top five greatest. Belichick's probably the number yeah. one uh, defensive mind of all time, as far as, and, and I go through a lot of his stuff. Offensively, um, one of the guys that I actually learned from, Josh McDaniel, is actually from Youngstown. Yeah. Um, I, taught, I worked underneath his father, Tom, for a little bit. Um, genius offensively. Yeah. The biggest thing is they don't tolerate any bullshit. Right. That Patriot Way stuff, it don't right. matter who you are. I mean, if you are. I mean, you look Chad Johnson went there. Yeah. He, he, I don't think he even played a game. I think and Chad was, Johnson had a cut. You know, in, in his defense, it was also at the end of his career. And Bel- we've seen over the last few years, we've seen Belichick do that a lot. We've seen Belichick bring in guys that probably 10 years prior he would not have. Well, but they're usually at the – right. But they're usually at the tail end of their career and they're falling off by the time he mm-hmm. gets them. Because uh, he's taken the, – the, the Belichick way is to take the flyer on the guy, right? Like like <laughs> to basically save himself as much money and, and heartache as possible on a guy that he knows has talent. But what does he have left in the tank? If they can get him his mind right, they're going to do that with Josh Gordon. If, yeah. they, if, if from what I'm hearing, the people that, I, that, yeah. I, that I've heard and things that I've heard in regards to Josh Gordon, if he gets his mental right as far as like mental health, he's going to be a star there because he fits right into what they want to do. I'm going to go back to the high school thing real quick. How do you like it? You, you enjoying it? Well, I've actually stepped away for a few weeks recently. I'm, I'm planning on – I broke for, for spring when the, yeah. there was a young kid that passed away in Hillsborough. I heard about that, yeah. Um, so we were shut down for a little yeah. bit. Um, and I, I stepped away a little bit. Yeah. They've been calling me and wanting me to come back and do this and do that. And I'm like, to me, honestly, I don't know if it's something that I really want to do anymore. As far as high school, I've done high school in Ohio. Um, I'm doing it here now in Florida. And I see a lot of the things that we're talking about that are the reasons why football is the way it is here. Yeah, painful differences. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. Like, the football coach, he's a great guy. Um, His father is a legendary coach in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. Um, Last name Moselle. I don't know. Coach at a parochial school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Couple state championships. I want to say something like two or three state championships, but the apple fell really far from the tree. <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> that apple, happens a lot. The apple fell off the tree, rolled down the hill, and it's a good quarter mile away from the actual where the tree started. Um, <laughs> but I like the guy, and I mean we're we work well together. Um, my only thing is it's so far away from what like it's right now. What I'm working at is. I feel like I'm back coaching, like, because they don't have the middle school programs. I feel like I'm co- back coaching Little League, like yeah. six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and that's not what I want to do. Yeah. I've, I've been there. I, I got involved with uh, East Lake Youth because of uh, the situation that we had when I was with the Decepticons and later the War Eagles. I'd probably enjoy it more if I actually had a kid, <laughs> you know. Yeah, 
um, because, you know, everybody's like, oh, you got to do it. It's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. My ass. It's actually, <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's more stressful than semi-pro because uh, f- for me, it was then having to listen to parents tell me how I should fucking coach. And, then, you know, it's like. <laughs> Little League is rewarding to the parent who never wanted to put the work in. But yeah. You call it a coach. Yeah. For someone yeah. like yourself right. or me who's actually coached yeah. and actually put the work in. And then I have soccer mom Mary over my right. shoulder yeah. telling me her little boy should be playing. Yeah. And her little boy has been in Mystic practice all week. Right. And whatever. Yeah. It's so frustrating. And that's what I'm seeing here. Like, And I can't even blame so much like coaches or anything like that. Like, I see it with the administration too. Yeah. Like, literally no um, interest, no support for the football program. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Riverview hasn't had a very successful football program. They haven't had a winning team since 2001. And that's – isn't that when they were founded? Riverview is not an old high school. I want to say they were founded in 99 or 2000, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so it was right around then. So they've just never had a winning program since they – since they, they it, its inception. Boys. They yeah. have 3,000 kids in a school. When I yeah. hear that, I'm thinking, like, in Ohio, if you have 3,000 kids in a school, you're Division One. Sure. And you're definitely, like, a 5A team for sure. You yeah. are playing yeah. top-level football. Yeah. Um, and I'm – they can't get their athletes out. Their yeah. athletes play basketball. Yeah. And I'm just like it's, it's the area. It's frustrating. It's the area because it's definitely more of a basketball area for sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it that's why when when you told me you were, you know, taking the job and you were going out there and stuff, I thought, "Oh, maybe they're maybe they're trying to turn things around. Maybe they're interested in bringing in football guys, well, you know, to help with the football program." But here, here's what I will say. Um, they hadn't scored 28 points in any amount of time. Uh, since I think they told me 2007 was the last time they scored 28 in a game. Um, and we had our spring game. Yeah, you were telling me you had a really good spring game. <laughs> the defense scored 25 points, and I, I was basically calling the defense for the game. The defense scored, scored 25 points. points. The defense scored 28, and then my special teams blocked the punt for a touchdown. So we won 35 to nothing. <laughs> Offense well, didn't score. Offense didn't score a point, and you scored um, 35 points. But... <laughs> It's still so far off. It was yeah. Spoto. It was yeah. it was Frank. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm probably gonna go back because I like the kids. Yeah, and, and I do like doing it. I, I just, man, it's such a. It, it's never the kids. It's, it's always the parents the or the. Right. I feel like I'm going back to the pirates here, right. one, yeah. which is not where I want to go. All right, so we were talking about the pirates. You brought up the pirates. I felt like this was probably a good time to talk about the infamous. Scott Murto, Casey Adams meeting 1.0. I just, uh, just to set the stage, uh, you and I have become pretty, pretty good buddies over the last <laughs> few yeah. years. And, and again, I said earlier in the podcast, like I respect the hell out of you from a coaching standpoint. I think that you are, you're the coach I would want to be. And, right. and, and that's, that's honest. I like I, I, uh, I've always felt like, um, you know, if I could, if I could improve on the weaknesses that we were talking about earlier and stuff, like I wished I could, know as much as you, which, you know, I do have a great deal of knowledge and stuff, but then be able to apply it the way you apply it because I have that high uh, high energy mentality. I, I do a lot of yelling. I do a lot of hyperbole on the field. I'm always, like, animated and, and moving around and stuff, whereas you have a very, like, calm and mild-mannered approach um, that I've always really respected because I wish I can get my point across like that and save my lungs, save my throat, you know, like not have to not have to get into it with the players. But it's just uh, it's just my style, and we, we have different styles. Um, but I've always admired your style. I think you're a hell of a coach. I think you're a hell of a 
dude. Uh, but that brings me back to our, our, our first meeting because we did not always uh, get along. And in fact, <laughs> I made a horrible first impression on you. Yeah. So let's so let's let's talk about that. Tell me your perspective of what it was like the first time you met me. All right. So the, I, first of all, I appreciate the sentiment. Um, it doesn't have too much to do with me being a good coach or uh, having a good approach. It's important, but it's simply the fact that I'm old. I've been doing this for a long while. Calm, <laughs> calm me down. Trust me, I was not much different too long ago. But as far as uh, meeting you and my first impression, you got to remember, I, I had just moved uh, 1,700 miles. Yeah. Um, I've been here about four and a half months. I'd had from the defensive coordinator to the offensive coordinator to the head coach in a matter of two and a half weeks. Um, <laughs> And it took me about five years to get there <laughs> with the Aiklo Pirates. It, it, it was, you know, what, and I was very thankful at that point in time for the opportunity that was given to me by the uh, by the ownership there. But as far as meeting you, what happened was um, there had obviously been some history there um, that I was unaware of. Um, I had heard some negative things um, in regards to you leading up to it, so I had this already somewhat native connotation. But I've always taken the approach, you know, don't don't judge anybody till you meet them. Right. So I'm sitting there, I arrive at the game, and, and I could tell something's wrong with what's going on with the way the setup's in. I, I go over and talk to our owner, and he's like, um, yeah, these guys are going to be pissed off. They're pretty mad, you know. You, you haven't even been brought up to speed on what's going on with the field and how no. we might not even play a game and, and, and all that. And no. this all falls on the shoulders of your ownership mm-hmm. with your team because it was your hosting game. Mm-hmm. You, we were coming to play you guys. All of this should have been handled by your owner. And so up to this point, you still are in the dark yeah. as to what I have now been told. <laughs> and then and then your owner says, let's have a meeting in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. And so they text us. We start walking over, and then I see you. So go ahead. Yeah, so at this point, um, my owner mentioned something to me about a controlled scrimmage. Well, I did not know the history, and I also didn't know that he had already spoke to you about this. So he tried to get me to sell you on it. Um, now, at this as this starts unraveling, he, like I, I was telling Shane earlier, he was off like looking into the sunset, like Hakuna Matata on, on, on Lion King. Like I didn't know what the hell he was looking at. So we had our back towards you guys. Um, so I turn around and there's this six foot two and six foot four guy walking towards us, and I'm like, as we start walking closer, I'm like, this asshole has a bat. <laughs> Why does this guy have a bat, at a, bat. <laughs> at a semi-pro football game? And all the possible, and it wasn't like a normal size bat. It was like. Louisville slugger. It, it was a Sammy it, it Sosa was, bat. Yeah. It was small yeah. enough that if a man at yeah. that size had swung it off my head, it, it would have took the head off. Yeah. So I'm walking up, and I, I'm asking my owner. I'm like, hey, hey, um, what did you do to these guys? Like, they, they fucking hate you. <laughs> like, like, and I'm just – now, mind you, I don't really know our owner at that point. I've only been there four months, and I have no clue who these guys are. The one gentleman who you know was with Casey at that point in time comes across, and he's trying to be super professional or whatever, and – they introduced me to Casey's the coach, and Casey's over there given the heavy breathe. He's got the look on his face, and he's tapping the bat on the ground. I was tapping the bat on and, the ground. It was such a douchey move. I was definitely tapping the bat. The, the worst part is, and I don't even know if you remember this, he has the bat in the left hand, okay? So as we approach them, I go to shake his right hand. He flips the bat into his right hand and totally ignores my handshake. <laughs> Such a okay, I, I all right. So real quick, I really don't remember that. Um, I all of my vitriol and and anger and angst was directed towards the other individual in the powwow. That had nothing to do with Scott at that time. I didn't know Scott from Adam. Uh, I wasn't pissed at you, mm-hmm. but 
I was extremely livid at the situation we were in. Well, as far as you knew, uh, I was complicit. You, yeah, I mean, yeah. you didn't know my situation yeah, over yeah. there. So I but I honestly do not remember giving you, you the, the cold shoulder. You with the, the bat <laughs> into the other hand and started tapping it and totally ignored my handshake. And I went, I had my hand out, and you flipped it. I went, fuck. <laughs> and I just started talking to Jason. And uh, he, we all know how he is. He's very trying to be straight up and down yeah, yeah. like yeah. and the whole time he's talking i'm looking at him but i can hear you in the corner and you're tapping the bat and you got this wwe type yeah. anger yeah. going on i'm i'm honestly lucky that that he was there with us because he was probably keeping me in check because i did uh <laughs> i did want to use the mm-hmm. bat on the other guy that was you know the standing there is, so is, is we keep saying that's the first time we met but it's not technically three weeks earlier when we had had it, we had a, had a controlled scrimmage yeah, fight game. A, yeah, a I touch, walked up to you yeah. and we shook hands in yeah. your car. We we BS for like five or ten minutes, yeah, yeah. and now you're just a totally different guy. And I'm like, <laughs> totally. I'm like, this is some bipolar type bullshit here. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, it was way left field. And then you went. The, the worst part about it is, and I, I was very confident. Like I, I was pretty after our flag game. You know, we had played well defensively in the flag game. Um, at that point, I had taken over the offense. And I felt good offensively, and so we walk away. And after that interaction with you, I'm just thinking to myself, man, I know if I was that angry, how my team would respond. I looked at the at the gentleman that was walking with me, the owner, and I'm like, yeah, they're gonna yeah, you guys had no stop. chance. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was that was the thing was was um, I was the vehicle for the anger that the entire team was feeling at that point because mm-hmm. we had basically all been practicing for we were game practicing for weeks to play you guys and when all that happened the day of with no notice or anything and us basically being told the game was going to get canceled unless we wanted to have a controlled scrimmage somewhere else off you know off off site or whatever i wasn't having it i wasn't even going to bring that to my players because they were you know they were ready for war at that point it, that's what was so crazy about that 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 game that night that whole that whole deal was that was like the first time I had ever felt an energy like that like like <laughs> like I literally this is gonna go one of two ways and it's either gonna be it's gonna be a complete bloodbath and the cops are gonna get called I'm going to lose my cool for the first time as an adult and and do some shit I don't want to do and and join my players or we're going to come together as a team and we're going to uh, take it out on, on, on the other team, which is exactly what we did. And like I said, once we got to the other field, when I was able to pull the strings to, to move the game over to our home field and, and make it happen on a, you know, the snap of a finger. Once everybody showed up, I said, Oh, we're going to fuck these guys up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and to, to be honest, I mean, and we got it up here on, on the screen or we're looking at the film. If you watch back and look at it, I mentioned it, and I had a defensive coordinator at that point in time, and, and I had originally set up that defense as I stated when I first got there, and we had a way we did things. And we went through all the practices leading up to that, and we were doing it the way that I had it set up. And we show up to the game, and I, I run a four-two-five defense with a single high safety. And about the third or fourth play in, I think you guys may have scored 
I'm not quite I was sure. just going to say, if you'd like, we Sounds can right. go through the first 57 seconds of game film where we score. Because this this does, it sets the tone for the rest of the game. It only takes about two minutes real time for us to score a touchdown. And this is 57 seconds of, of, of film time. Uh, we start out, we, we run the kick back about where I think we're at like the 20-yard line right here. And so uh, I had scripted this whole drive. So everything went exactly as I planned. We ran a 33 gut right there uh, from the I formation. Everything was I here. And this wasn't even my starting quarterback. This was our former starting quarterback. I did this because I wanted him to get the satisfaction of scoring our first touchdown. Uh, we came in, we ran this 38 toss sweep, and this was with that, that Z crack, with the with the right. motion from the Z. The illegal crack, you mean? It's not illegal. Is that the one you're talking about? The, it's not, the illegal it's, crack? Why is it illegal? Because it's coming from outside the tackle box. I've never been flagged for it before. Yeah, so on the third play, on, 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 <laughs> on the... <laughs> We uh, just run a little QB sneak to get the first down from about three yards out. I think he got five yards on the play. And then uh, I had already predetermined these were the five plays we were going to call. So we go right back to that uh, zip crack look. But instead of throwing the 38 toss, we run a bootleg. And here you are calling a cover two with a single high safety and our all-star wide receiver who should never be left alone is left wide open for the easy dump that's demo i don't like that for the easy (laughs) dump off touchdown pass i'll make sure i tell him that you said that he should have been here to hear that come out of your mouth so i said it Um, to him i don't care what anybody says demo and i were a dynamic duo absolutely yeah yeah well that's i'm i'm glad that you're finally contributing as a co-host because i was gonna fast forward to where later on in the game we ran the exact same play. We came back and hit the tight end. The reason why I love that play so much, the what I called, it was I write zip, fake 33, flood right is the oh, play call. Right. And the reason why I like it so much is because there is so much versatility in the play. Um, yeah, we want to hit that that wide open receiver running down the, you know, running down the field on that, that flood play. Could have took your pick but, this night. But the tight, <laughs> but but the tight end. Uh, the reason why I love the play so much is because if you run it a couple of times, you can come back and hit the tight end who's actually running a delay release. So he's actually blocking down, then running a delay release. And honestly, I never thought we could score a touchdown running the play. It's just a good like yardage play. It gets you a nice like eight, ten, fifteen First yard downs. chunk. But Shane ran it perfectly, and then I think he beasted through, like, three or four of your defenders to score a touchdown. Mark was not able to complete the rollout. We never did the boot. Mark actually just pulled up and dumped it to Shane. Shane didn't even run the correct route here, so Shane was actually wrong. Yeah, you're way too far down the field for a flood right. I think I I was reading the defender. Yeah, sure, that's what it was. <laughs> he just, knew, same, if he, exactly he just knew if he put himself in the wrong place, he was going to score a touchdown. I was just looking for play. a hole. That's football IQ. <laughs> that, was, that was a football IQ play. I was just looking for the hole, yeah. man. Yeah, so it was the exact same play, but it's 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 interesting because I think now looking back on it, because I remember real time when it happened, I was like, it worked again! But I wasn't, I wasn't really uh, watching Mark and what was going on at the line of scrimmage. It just all happened so fast. 
But now watching it back, you guys actually defended it well the second time we ran it. We, you almost killed the quarterback. The quarterback actually pulled up and threw it at the last second to the tight end who had actually run 12 yards down the field instead of being <laughs> at or around the line of scrimmage like he was supposed to be. So actually, if you had run it correctly, it wouldn't have been a touchdown. But because he did like the Frank Wycheck thing of like just running down the field and finding the hole in the zone, uh, <laughs> Mark just dumped it to him real quick and then Shane turned around. There was nobody Not there. Not going to lie. I feel like the only time I ever got the ball thrown to me was when I did that. Hmm. When you just made shit up. When I found a yeah. hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. smart football because 90% of semi-pro run zone. It's definitely, well, it's it's definitely conducive to like a pass-catching tight end. Like that, you know, receivers can't do that shit. Tight end is so hard to throw to at this level yeah. because most quarterbacks aren't adept at reading the middle of the field. Right, the middle. Of the yeah. time where you are yeah. unless you're running over well, the top. Well, the, the reason why I said the Wycheck thing, too, talking about him, is because one of the funny things that Shane used to do actually reminded me of Frank Wycheck. If you remember back in the day, because I used to think he was one of the greatest, and he never put up, like, crazy Shannon Sharp or, or um, uh, uh, Tony Gonzalez numbers, but Frank Wycheck did a lot of really good things on the Very football field. Yeah, and one of the things he used to do, especially when McNair was his quarterback, to put himself out there was he would run into that open zone no matter what the play was. He would find the zone because McNair did a ton of breaking the pocket. And so it would give him chances at broken plays. He would stand there in the middle of the field and do this and wave his hands at McNair. So McNair would see him and then McNair would basically just lob it to him. And then Wycheck would pick up a lot of yardage. He's also my least favorite football player in the history of football. Frank Wycheck? Yeah. He's a city miracle. Oh, yeah. Buffalo. The, yeah. Through, We're talking to a huge pass. Buffalo Bills fan here. <laughs> yeah, so pass. so that's something Shane used to do. Shane used to find the zone and then actually, like, start waving to the quarterback. There was, But there was plenty of times he did that and he didn't get the ball. And then he was just, pissed what the off. hell, man? <laughs> but, so uh, but he would he would just wave like this and then, you know, get the ball thrown to him and stuff. I mean, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you got to do what you could do to it, you know. So the, the, the point was coming back, able to run the same play. So, so much of my offense is predicated on setting everything up. So everything looks the same, but it's actually not. You know, we're, 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 we're trying to get that home run play. I like to dink and dunk or chunk my way down the field, you know, three or four or five yards at a time until we lull you to sleep and then take that 50. There's a couple of different schools of offense. I, I mean, the, the approach that you take is definitely very viable, um, and it's definitely very applicable to semi-pro. Um, I am more of a – I prefer to run the same thing out of multiple formations. I would too. It's just I never really got the chance to, you know, instill that. And like we were talking about with, with – I, I like to be able to take the same concept and apply, uh, apply it to four or five different formations. Right. But it's the thing of making sure your players have the right alignment, spacing, all that. And then and then once you do finally get them to learn where they need to be and do it right, then they jump or something mm-hmm. like that. They go off sides or whatever. You know, they always screw up a good thing when you <laughs> – when you finally get it working. So, so yeah, I, 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 especially for that particular game, I took the approach of let's just run two formations, our, our base. Uh, you were running the same thing, what I call the double barrel, which is the backs on either side of the quarterback and the gun, um, and doing a lot of the motioning out and, and you know, double run up the gut or out to the outside. is basically just a zone run scheme with some dump-off passes in the middle. And then, uh, aside from that, we were just running I formation, which under normal circumstances isn't that successful. But against you guys, I mean, you guys had a small group 
and we had one of the best running backs in the state. So, you know. What you want to take into consideration is we were running a 4-2-5, okay? Yeah. Single high safety running cover two. Cover two, is that a good scheme in single high safety? Uh, yeah, beautiful if you have a safety who could split himself in half as he back pedals. <laughs> um, the problem with that, though, is when you run it out of a 4-2-5, what we were doing, okay, because the way your linebackers break, you leave the middle of the field open. So right. you're double hurting yourself. You can't cover both halves of the it, field. It's almost like the Tampa two in that the two uh, uh, middle linebackers vacate the middle and, and mm-hmm. flush out to the, the, yeah, the quarters there. Yeah. They yeah. play hook curl. It's, yeah. I, and, and I had never seen that in any of our practice. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised yeah. as you were to see how open that was. I wasn't because uh, I knew who was calling your defense, and I believe that guy got fired after he called a cover two defense with a single high safety with me. So, Well, he did not um, make another appearance at our practices either. Um, whether that was at my doing, I'm not quite sure. I do believe... In hindsight, you may have planted him on my team. I'm, I'm just <laughs> something was amiss because I have never seen a cover two with a single high safety ran like that. I mean, there's different ways you can run it because I, I do run it, but it's it's an inverted safety drop. I think the best part, yes, cornerback. Yeah, drop. you basically, yeah, exactly. I've you never taught it. you basically have to roll. You have to do a roll coverage to well, to, just, to, to get there. You drop the safety um, in the middle like you do for Camp two, and drop the corners and, and bail out. But yeah. You have to have great corners to yeah. do it. Yeah, can... yeah, and it's and 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 then it really becomes like a hybrid, like one of those cloud six or cover six coverages or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, the the best part about that though is that you and I talked about this before. We both had mind numbing arguments with that individual <laughs> over cover two from a single high because and the reason why at the end of the day I had to fire him was because he he would not shut up about. I can do it. I can run a, a, a cover two out of a single high safety. And I said, he was very confident. I said, where's the other, where's the <laughs> other guy? You know what a cover two is? It's too deep. If you've only got one guy back there, where is your second deep man? And then he's trying to explain it to me as to how it can work. And I said, but you only have one guy back there. Like, and he just you know, he one beat guy tried to run 30 he, yards. He, to cover he beat them. it to death. But uh, uh, you and I talked about this before. You had almost an identical conversation with him about that, where he wouldn't relent that he could not call a, a, a cover two with a single high safety. Well, so, and the, and the bad thing was, is it was very similar to your conversation. I was actually trying to aid him in to give me the correct answer. Cause like you said, you could either roll <laughs> yeah, it or you can invert it. Yeah. And what he had got, what I got was basically where he had learned it from was he had learned it through the TCU palm setup, but he hadn't taught palms on our side. So he was trying to run, telling everybody to run palms underneath, which is basically cover two. Yeah. But it doesn't account for the second guy over the safety. Yeah. You're not rolling. Yeah. 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 So, so he's missing a key component to, to making that a successful defense. Only 50%. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's, what's, what's two minus one, you know? So <laughs> if you're trying to cover 53 yards of field, I mean, if you try to cover 23, yeah. it usually don't work. Anymore. I love Arcellus, man. Like I, I miss those guys. I, I, uh, I remember, um, putting Arcellus in a specific position in the playoff game that we played uh, in Defuniac Spring, Shane, where I told him pre-snap, and I was yelling out there because I was the only guy on uh, the coach on the sideline. I said, the funny thing was, is their quarterback was heard me and turned and looked at me, and he kind of like, huh, like this, and then he threw an interception because I said, Arcellus, and he goes, what, coach? And I said, don't move. Stay right there. And he thought I was crazy. He's like, 
like this, throwing his hands up, you know, and I said, Celis, stay right there. Do not move. Quarterback snaps the ball, throws a quick slam right to where Celis is standing, and he get. And it's just because I, I, I picked up on, you know, what they'd been doing all game, which was they were only running like three plays, and one of them was against our nickel. They were basically running a – we were running a hybrid nickel, but not a 4-2-5. I had two over the top. Uh, but every other play, I was basically blitzing Arcellus based on where that slot went. If the slot we crossed, the exactly, yeah. If the slot crossed the field, I basically just sent him to the quarterback. They kept running uh, basically this quick slant, and the quick slant was always there because Jeff, as we know, as good of a player as he is, always plays off. Mm-hmm. They'd been getting away with it three or four times, and and uh, basically once they got into that alignment where I recognized it pre-snap, I just said Arcellus. And there's a the guy again doesn't uh, know much about the position that he plays, but he's a phenomenal athlete. And what I like so much about him is that he does, he tries, you know, like he wants to, he wants to know. Um, And he does listen to you if you tell him what to do. So in this particular case, I just yelled at him on the field and said, don't move. He's going to throw the ball right to you. And I swear to God, the quarterback turned and looked at me and smirked. Like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then he threw it right to him. And, and Arcelis picked it off, and he comes running off the field. Coach, I did just like you said. <laughs> <laughs> no shit, Sal. No shit. So with this platform, I want to I want to give coaches and players alike the opportunity to, um, you know, kind of tell their stories so that uh, maybe something – like that can be avoided from somebody who listens to the podcast or at the very least they have somebody to commiserate with because we all have very similar stories. Yeah. <laughs> we, well, and the thing is, is if somebody could learn from my mistakes, I've been doing this for a total of 21 seasons now. Cause I coached multiple seasons in different years where I was coaching in the spring and the summer. Um, if anybody could learn from my mistakes and not make them the same mistakes as yeah, I've done a lot of good things in football as well, but the amount of mistakes I made would make somebody else better. Um, I'm all for it. I'm always willing to talk ball. Um, something I enjoy doing, and I, I really appreciate you guys having me. Do you have any regrets? Let me let me rephrase that. Is there anything you've done that you wish you didn't do, and is there anything that you haven't been able to do that you wish you could? That I wish I hadn't done. I wish I had waited on joining the Pirates when I first moved here. I, I yeah. could have took that year off, and then I wish I could have convinced somehow, and I don't know how I would have uh, – reconciled the situation but would have got to coach with you at the first year <laughs> yeah yeah that's that honestly that's my biggest regret like yeah. of everything i've done in football um uh i've done you know seen and done a lot of horrible shit or been uh, you know a part of some of that stuff and thought to myself like god why am i doing this when i had the opportunity to to join forces with you i thought it's a no-brainer this is gonna fucking work uh this is gonna be the best situation i've ever been in and we could win for years to come and then, uh, you know, forces out of out of our control, you know, took 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 over that situation. And then there was just, uh, you know, no way to reconcile it. And and we we even tried, uh, you know, over the last couple of years to to sneak me back in there and make it work. But um, oil and vinegar, you know, oil, well, I should say oil and water, oil and vinegar do mix and they taste very lovely when they're mixed together. Oil, oil and water, on the other hand, uh, they don't mix. And that's what you get when you put me in a situation with. Uh, really, anybody that doesn't know what the fuck they're doing, but you know, that, that's a specific that's, individual. That's, that's, a, that's a, a blunt way to put it. <laughs> I've left him and speechless. I'm a, 
Um, I'd love to have you back on the show sometime. Absolutely. Uh, we can uh, definitely, in the future, we can maybe do like a, a breakdown show and, you know, kind of like break down some film and, and, and talk through some shit. Maybe especially once we get a video podcast going, that way guys can see what we're talking about. But, uh, I really appreciate you having, having you on the show. Uh, you were definitely at the top of my list. I'm glad we could have you out. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take us out here. So. All right. Appreciate it. Have a great This day. was uh, Semi-Pro. Inside the locker room.